So I'm Jonathan. If you haven't met me, it's probably because I've been either setting up all the equipment or tearing it down or something, but hello. Um, today we're going to talk about remembering. Anybody like memorizing stuff? Whose favorite thing in the world is to memorize things? There's one person. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read... Uh, some of Exodus today, which is a book about remembering. Um, and you know who actually liked this book was Jesus, or at least it's it's quoted fairly often in the Gospels. Do you know that, this is, we're going to start with trivia, Bible trivia time. Uh, the most quoted book of the Old Testament by Jesus in the Gospels is, no. <laughs> Tricked you, didn't I? It was a setup. It's Psalms. Everybody loves Psalms, right? It's the biggest book, though, too. So to be fair, it, it had a head start. The next most quoted book by Jesus in the New Testament is... No! Deuteronomy. Yeah, whose, favorite, whose second favorite book is Deuteronomy. Probably for most, it's not even top ten. Like, when's the last time you were like, oh, yeah, I really got to read Deuteronomy this morning before I go to work? Yeah, Psalms, maybe. Deuteronomy, probably not as popular, right? The third favorite, not favorite, I'm, I'm saying favorite. It's just the most used in the Gospels is, I already heard it somewhere, it's still not Exodus. <laughs> it's Isaiah, which is closely followed by Exodus in number four. And those are all between 8 and 11 usages each. So, anyway, Exodus is a book about remembering, and it's a popular book in the New Testament. Uh, have, have you ever been to the wilderness or the desert? Has anybody not been to a desert? I'm willing to bet that every single person here has. Did you know that in southern Ontario here, we have one of the biggest deserts in the world, build biggest like wasteland wildernesses in the world, easily in North America. And did you know that at certain times it gets an average of over or around 500,000, half a million people a day visit this place or travel through it? <laughs> I heard Toronto. <laughs> No, the answer's not Toronto. But you're actually really close. It's called the 401. <laughs> that place, if there's anything that sounds like wilderness to me, it's the 401. Nobody goes there because they want to be there. Everyone is just trying to get somewhere else to the tune of half a million people sometimes on a single day. So we've all been there, right? Right, so we all have some, some kind of experience in the wilderness. Recently, I, I went into Toronto on Friday night for a good friend's birthday party, and thanks to the navigational heads up from Maya, I was with Jonathan Puddle, Maya called us as we were just about to get on the highway, and she was like, do not get on the 401. There is a giant accident, don't go there, take any other way. So we looked it up on Google, took the next exit off the road that we were heading uh, towards the 401 with, and Google said, you've saved 59 minutes. 
this route is 59 minutes faster. That should, that's more than the entire journey should take. <laughs> that is a wilderness. <laughs> and sometimes we get delayed in the wilderness, don't we? It can be frustrating. You're like, I don't want to be here. I'm not, the, I'm, the point is to get to somewhere else. But there are other types of wilderness. The 401 is probably one of the worst types of wilderness, in my mind. There are other types of wilderness uh, that are beautiful. They're wild. They're untamed, right? Like things like Yellowstone. And I'm not talking about the parts where you can just like drive through and look out your window and snap a picture. Eh, that's kind of wilderness, but that's not really a wilderness experience, is it? Because real wilderness is actually uncomfortable. There's risk. There's little food or water readily available, certainly nothing prepackaged. There are maybe things that would see you as food, <laughs> oftentimes, right? You have to be careful. You're not necessarily the highest thing on the food chain out there. The, but there's incredible beauty, isn't there? And there's solitude and there's peace. Like imagine just being somewhere and you don't hear a car or an airplane engine. Like there's no engines. It's just wind and breeze and birds chirping and hopefully not bears growling. <laughs> that's, that's, real, that's the kind of wilderness I like. But there's still discomfort there, isn't there? Like anyone who's even been on a, a decently long hike knows, yeah, you get tired. There's work involved in this, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So in the Bible, wilderness is a really important setting. It's a really important place. And often people go there intentionally. Like Jesus did this a lot, right? All throughout the Gospels. He's constantly going off by himself, and it's often into the wilderness, or he's led by the Spirit, or sometimes even driven by the Spirit into these places. And it's, it's kind of like a liminal space where you're in between, in transition. Uh, ordinary life is suspended a little bit. You know, like when you go camping out somewhere, it's not, it's not all the day-to-day -day stuff, but you still got to survive. Uh, usually, it's in the Bible, it's often a place where identity shifts, because it's a place of transition. You're going from one place to another place. You're leaving something behind and going to something new, and there, there's often, that's often mirrored in an internal change in the people and the characters that go through this experience. Um, there's often testing and character building that happens in these places. And there's also new possibilities. It's hard, but then there's, there's reward, there's benefit. It's, it's taxing, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable, but it's also revitalizing. And you, like you leave behind some stuff that maybe you didn't really need. You know, if you've been on a long hike, you know it's all about packing light. You, you do not need that pot. No, you, do, like you, you, you pack very intentionally. You bring only what you need. And so there's, there's like a, uh, an intentionality that, you, that, that happens as you go through that process. So there's danger, temptation, and chaos on the one hand, but there's also solitude and nourishment and refreshment and revelation from God also. It can be a place of profound intimacy. And it, it's often a place that... Um, forces people to confront things like hunger, fear, and isolation. I'm sure, and you know, these are sort of broad things. We all experience hunger probably every day, right? I get hungry every day. I get hungry like every hour. 
depending on how fast your metabolism is. <laughs> Hunger is a, like a multiple times a day thing, right? Uh, but it's kind of like amped up in the wilderness because you don't have your pantry with all your chips and stuff. Um, <laughs> my wife is shaking her head at me. That's not a good snack. I do not recommend that. You should be eating bananas and almonds. That's it. Uh, fear. I probably encounter fear on a daily basis, if I'm honest. There's usually something that I'm at least have the potential to be worried about or concerned about. So I would say I probably deal with fear on a daily basis. I don't know about you. Uh, isolation. Sometimes. I mean, you can be surrounded with people and feel isolated. Sometimes I feel isolated at work. I've, like, I'm surrounded by people. I'm working on a project. I'm like, nobody gets what I'm trying to do here. That's a kind of isolation feeling misunderstood. There's other more intense forms as well. Like you move to a new city and you don't know anyone. And you know, there's a lot, this week there is one of the most popular moving weeks. So this is a season of transition for most people, for many people, especially in this area with the universities. There's thousands, tens of thousands of students moving here for the first time or transitioning into a new living place. This is a massive season where there's potential for huge isolation. And in the wilderness, we're, we can either, we, we have three choices, I think, when we hit these things in the wilderness. We can turn back, we can head home, we can quit. We can start chasing like mirages and delusions and like basically just get lost in like go crazy and start thinking things are real that aren't real. Or we can keep going. So I'm going to read the Bible now. Uh, I'm going to start in Exodus 14. So what's happened up to this point in the story, they were following the people of Israel, and they're being led by Moses. They've just left Egypt, which was kind of a big deal because they were enslaved there for a few hundred years. They've been in slavery. Generations have died. They've just they've had entire generations intentionally wiped out. They've like, it's been terrible. And they've just got out of that miraculously, and it's been really intense, right? There's all these plagues and crazy things, and finally Pharaoh's like, just get the heck out of here. Leave me alone. And they go. But before they get too far, there's more conflict. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed towards the people. And they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? We've lost all our slaves. So he had his chariot made ready and took with his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots with Egypt with officers all over them. That's the chariot back then was like, the highest form of technology. You know, that these are like fighter jets, right? These are the most advanced military technology that anybody has, and they've got a lot of it. And they're a lot faster than these people. There's elderly people, there's babies, there's dads carrying like all the gear, and moms carrying all the kids, and vice versa, and all that kind of stuff. Israel's not moving too fast. 
The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them camped by the sea. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That does not sound like a very faith-filled, hope-filled response to me. I don't know about you. It sounds like the people of Israel have almost immediately forgotten what has just happened. It was not possible for them to get out of Egypt on their own. They did not orchestrate that in their own strength. That was miraculous. And now they're stuck in front of this body of water called the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and there's an army behind them, and they're like, oh, great, you brought us out here to kill us because there weren't graves in, in Egypt? Like, just slight sarcasm there. And they're like, we told you. They even, they even blame it all on them. Like, we told you this was going to happen. We, we knew this was going to happen. We should have stayed there. It's like, it's bonkers, isn't it? That's crazy. It's ridiculous. I Like, every time, especially as a kid, I read this story, and this keeps happening, by the way, throughout Exodus, and you're just like, what is, these people are stupid. Like, you know, I... We just, we just read this like three pages ago. How can you forget that? And then I think about it for a minute and realize that, oh, yeah, I do the same thing all the time. Because li li like literally every time I, I start worrying about, oh, no, we've got bills to pay and we don't have like... We have, we have a lot of bills this month. We've never had this many bills before. Have I forgotten that I've always had them paid to date? Not to mention, like, just for example, about $50,000 worth of student debt gone in six months of grad after, after graduation. Like, have I forgot? How stupid am I? Why would I be worried about a $500 payment when I've seen $50,000 gone? A $50,000 mountain, boom. Why would I be worried about $500? Because I forget. Because <laughs> I need to intentionally remind myself of this over and over again. I am not so different from the people of Israel. I think in these situations, God's inviting us deeper into his heart. 
obviously God didn't bring them out there and be like, like the people say, oh, we knew this was going to happen. They didn't know this was going to happen. <laughs> if they knew that was going to happen, they definitely wouldn't have had the faith to leave. God knew this was going to happen, though, and he wasn't worried about it. This is an invitation. He's putting them in place as it, it's not an easy place to be in, is it? He's not doing it like statistically to be like, ha oh, look at this. I brought you out here. You know, you can either drown or get chopped up into pieces by these guys on chariots. No. He didn't bring, out, bring them out there to watch them squirm in like discomfort between these two impossibilities. He brought them out to be like, look, I'm here with you. You're not alone in this. But you got to look at it from God's point of view, right? We, um, we moved, Melissa and I, to, uh, and our kids, we brought our kids, uh, eventually. We came out here first to do some painting, and my parents took them, so it was a staged move. But we moved out here three years ago, almost exactly, uh, at the beginning of August, so three years and one month. And it was a bit of a stressful process, we, but we'd been living in a two-bedroom apartment in Toronto. And we had two boys with a lot of energy, and it was difficult. Like, I know there are millions upon millions of people around the world today who live in, like, single-dwelling, single-room dwellings. But I didn't grow up like that, and I'm not used to that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I don't, I, like, this just doesn't, this is difficult. And if there's any way we can get out of this place, I would like to get out of this place. And, you know, there's also the, the tensions with neighbors who are much closer than maybe you would like, and you're just all stacked, literally stacked in this building, right? You can't even tell the kids, oh, just go, just go play outside, because you've got to go with them because you don't have a yard. So we, we were, we'd been praying, and like, we were like, we know, we feel like God has said, yes, I have a, a house for you, a home for you we did not see how we could possibly ever buy a house. We were both, Melissa and I both were working, running our own businesses, so we're self-employed, which means we're a bank's, like, nightmare when it comes to credibility in terms of paying off a mortgage. Like, oh, so you have no idea how much money you're going to make next month? Yeah. We pay all our bills every month and have extra, so... Give us a mortgage? <laughs> they don't like that for some reason. Banks have short memories when it comes to provision. Um, so we're, we're praying about this, but we just, you know when you feel like this is, this is happening now? You feel like the season for something is now. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You just, you, like, you know, you don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But you, like, you just feel that something is happening now. It's soon. That's the feeling we had. So we started looking for houses, and we found a place out here 
miraculously, uh, that had for some reason been on the market for longer than normal, uh, and it wasn't because you know it had some ill fate attached to it. Um, and so we called up our mortgage broker again, and somehow we ended up with like enough money for a down payment. Which surprised all of us. <laughs> and so we, you know, we went through the offer and everything, and that was a that was a bit of a process because we didn't use uh, real estate agents because they just wanted to sell it privately. Like, okay, whatever. Um, and we got this house, and we could hardly believe it. We're like, this is a dream come true. This is this is the fulfillment of a promise that God has given us. And so we're there, we're painting every, like 14 hours a day in the hottest days of the year and trying to get it all ready uh, for when we move in. For some reason, the whole house had been painted like dark burgundy. And not chocolate brown, because that makes it sound like delicious, but just like brown, brown, dark brown. And olive green, like if you don't like olives, then olive green would be a good description of this color. So we painted it. And we painted it white because we're crazy. So we painted the entire house, what, four, five times? Like you, <laughs> you've got to cover it so many times. So we did this over and over and over again. But we're happy, right? This is our house. Finally, we own this. You know, we're not just painting an apartment that we're renting and then we're going to leave. We're putting, like, even we're spending money on it, but we own this. This is ours, and we can do whatever we want with it. And so it was great. It's a lot of work, but it was great. And then the day uh, before we move, we're still painting like crazy people it's before we get all the stuff and kids in the house. And I get a call. And it's from U-Haul, who I've booked a truck to move all their stuff. And they say, uh, good morning, Mr. Berger. Uh, just wanted to let you know, confirm that your 10-foot truck will be available for you tomorrow morning in Orangeville. And I said, no, it won't, because I'm getting a 17-foot truck in Toronto at 8 AM. And they were like, oh, well, I'm sorry. We don't have that for you. And I said, well, that's what I booked. <laughs> and you said you would have for me. It's a little bit late notice. And I'm not going to Orangeville <laughs> for a truck that's almost half the size of what I need. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well. I'm sorry, I'll look into it and call you back. If you've ever talked to a phone representative, you know that's code for, mm, I don't know what to do and I can't fix this for you, so I'm just gonna lie to you and hang up. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, I'm trying not to be quite that cynical as this is happening, but I know how it goes. So I did a little bit more painting and then I was like, yeah, they're not going to call me back. I'm going to have to probably give them a call. 
So I, this whole process takes like about three hours. I'm on and off. Finally, I get to someone who seems like they're actually actually have like the authority, like they can make choices about what happens with the trucks, and they seem like they're willing to help me. And so uh, I'm on the phone with him, and we're going around and around and around and around and around. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to call you back. And I was like, no, not you. Not you. You were the helpful one. So I get off the phone again, and I'm just like, I'm trying, I'm trying to maintain a good attitude, right? Because I'm like, I'm, I'm literally in my house, this miracle that's been provided for us, right? I'm like, I got to get my stuff here. I can't live here, you know, like, like a gym like this and like throw some folding chairs in the corner. I got to get my stuff here and it has to be out of the apartment. I feel stranded. I felt a lot like the Israelites out in the middle of the wilderness. Like, I'm in this place, but I got to get my stuff and now I can't get, like, I can't get it here. I'm trying to keep it together. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together and not like start yelling at these Blessed U-Haul employees. Um, and then, you know, God kind of spoke to me and helped give me some perspective. And he said, you know, I didn't provide this house for you just so that you could not move into it. I didn't bring you out in the wilderness to strand you here. Yeah, this is a time of transition, and it takes a lot of work, and there's challenges, but I didn't, I didn't bring you out here. I didn't provide this for you, and then be like, oh, shoot, forgot about the truck. Ooh, walk away. <laughs> You're on your own. What? I got to go. <laughs> God's not like that. He's with us in it. And it doesn't mean that, like, oh, everything's going to be easy, and, you know, there's no struggles in the wilderness. Yes, there are but he's with us in those, right? So fortunately, the, the end of this story is that when I, next I spoke with U-Haul, uh, he told me, he was like, all right, Mr. Berger, we've, let me know if this is okay with you. We've got a 20-foot truck for you in Etobicoke, and we just need you to drop it off at this downtown location in Kitchener, by 6 p.m. or whatever it was. It's like, and, it, and, and furthermore, it will, like, it's just going to be like a $60 flat rate, no, no mileage charge, just fill it up with gas and $60. I was like, S just, can we please have this in writing? <laughs> I didn't get it in writing, but I did get the truck. So, and it turned out that because of this mix-up and mess-up and everything, that actually enabled us to do the move that day. Because if we had gotten the 17-foot truck that I cheaply, conservatively <laughs> budgeted our space for, we would not have been able to move all our stuff. We used every inch of the trailer in that 20-foot truck and... F and and three SUVs also <laughs> to get all our stuff out of our apartment. Like in the end, I was literally taking bicycles and throwing them up onto the, I was like, well, this is, that's where that goes. <laughs> and we'll close the door. 
we would not have been able to move if we got the truck that I had booked. And it ended up being half the price. It was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> we, f we filled a four-bedroom house with a garage and a shed with the contents of a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it wasn't a penthouse apartment. It was a small apartment. They were not big bedrooms. We managed to do that. Uh, so the, the key for me in all that was, was the reminder that God didn't provide this only to strand me, abandon me, and strand me here so that I have to figure it out all on my own. And what his offer to me in that moment was, was peace. Because he saw things, he saw challenges that I didn't see. He knew how much stuff I had. He knew the exact cubic meters of everything that we owned that would not fit into a 17-foot truck. See, I am optimistic. <laughs> what he was offering me in that moment of challenge, in that time of transition, in that wilderness in between stage, was to learn about who I am, about my place in him, and about the peace and the safety and the security that he unconditionally offers me. So picking up in Exodus, where we last left off, where the people of Israel have lost their minds, like they're saying, we should, we should be in slavery. That, that was better than this. That's insane. These, these are the people that killed a whole generation, like Moses' generation, all the boys, they just started murdering them when they were born, and we're like, oh, we're, you know, it was genocidal. And they're like, yeah, that's where we should be. When, when like, you're in the frame of mind when you're saying, that's, that's better, you know you're not thinking straight, right? But we do that all the time. Because often the, the security of slavery, of just the familiarity of knowing what we're up against, it, for some reason, it, and it makes no sense, and it's easy to look at the story and be like, these people are nuts, but I do it still. That seems preferable sometimes to the, free to the freedom of the unknown. And if we don't trust God, the freedom of the unknown is going to, like, it's just going to be intolerable. We will gravitate to slavery if we do not trust God. And we learn to trust God in the wilderness. We were forced to rely on him. The Israelites did not rely on, they did not rely on God in Egypt. It was terrible, and they cried out to God all the time. And then he answers, him, answers them, and they're like, no, oh, you should have left us there. They cried out to him, but they didn't trust him. They had to learn how to trust him. And this keeps going throughout. It keeps going and going, doesn't it? Read the rest of it this afternoon. You'll, 
like you'll see that you'll just be like what is wrong with these people so moses says to the people do not be afraid stand firm and see the deliverance that the lord will accomplish for you today for the egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again the lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And then he tells Moses to lift his staff. And of course, what happens is the Red Sea parts, this wind, the cloud moves behind the people so the Egyptians can't see them and they can't get through during the night. And then a wind blows all night and they walk through the, like a corridor uh, with water walls. It's the first aquarium. Uh, on, on dry land. They walk across the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians try to follow. They get bogged. All their technology gets bogged down in the mud. Their wheels and their chariots and their horses. And then the water closes back over. And the Israelites celebrate. But I want to I focus on what Moses tells the people to do and what God tells the people to do. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. And then the Lord, next verse, the Lord says, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. So what, which one? Keep still, go forward. Keep still, go forward. Like, that's, I don't, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Seems to be slightly contradictory, doesn't it? That's what it says. But I think it actually makes a lot of sense. I think keep still is an inner attitude that we need to approach this with. Because these people are freaking out. Moses is like, chill. Chill. God's with us. Let's talk to him. So if you're in the wilderness and you're kind of freaking out about something and maybe you're thinking about making some crazy choices, like going back to Egypt, whatever that represents in the situation, keep still. The first thing to do is always keep still. Look to God and ask for peace. You can ask, you can cry out for it. You don't have to be still when you ask for peace. You can be freaking out and be like, I need peace! You can do that. But just give it, just wait, right? Just wait. Take some time. Be still and know that God is God. This is where trust is formed. This is where relationship is formed with God. And it happens in these crunch moments where you've got an army and a sea and you're in the desert. This is an opportunity to learn to trust God in a way that you don't have in regular life so that you can enjoy greater freedom in the future without it being overwhelmingly scary for you. God has freedom for you, but if you don't trust him, you will hate it. And there's greater and greater freedom, right? Like Melissa and I, we weren't working jobs for like five years. And sometimes I was 
we were working, we just didn't have employers, right? We were self-employed. Um, so you don't, ha it's not like, oh, well, next month we're gonna have this much money on the paycheck that, and we'll just add it up and figure, we didn't know that. We worked hard, we tried to get work, we took what work came to us, sometimes we didn't always, in, you know, there's ups and downs and whatever, and every time I was like, should we keep doing this, God? Like, do I just need to go and get a job? Every time I was like, please give me some sort of sign, Every time I prayed that, within the next week, I would get emails out of the blue and clients that I had before messaging me like, hey, are you free for some work? Like, I've got a website or I've got, I, need, I know someone who needs such and such. But that freedom would be crushing if we didn't trust God to provide for us, right? It would be worse than working jobs that we hated, but having the security of a paycheck. I'm not saying working a job is being a slave in Egypt. I'm talking about a season in the, <laughs> or a particular season in our lives, right? So that's not the application of what I'm saying. Um, so the first thing to do when you're stuck in the wilderness and it looks like death is all around you is find peace, be still. The second thing to do is go forward. Once you've got that peace, follow God's leading. Often we, often we start with the second question first, or at least I do. Like, God, what do I do? 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 Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. He's like, I can't because you're just, just be still, and then I can tell you. I can't answer someone who won't shut up? <laughs> if you have children, you know what this is like. <laughs> I had a situation yesterday where Leaf was like freaking out about something, or maybe it was, I don't even remember who it was. It could have been Noah. I've become my parents. No. <laughs> <laughs> One of my children who all blend together was freaking out, and I was trying to tell them, I'm going to help you with this, but then they ran off screaming. And I was like, well, I can't help you. <laughs> like, I was going to help you, but now I can't. Stillness. Find the stillness, and then you're going to be able to hear what God is actually saying to do, right? There's going to be a way forward. The, 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 the path is not lock yourself in your prayer closet and don't go to work and don't go to church and don't hang with your friends and pray and soak all day every day and God will send ravens to feed you meat. And that's, like, if that's your life strategy for a certain season, please get, like, some signs and confirmation on that, okay? That's probably not what you need to do. In this, in this case, and when we were moving, it meant that I did have to spend a few hours on the phone going back and forth with U-Haul. I shouldn't have had to call them back. They should have fixed it of their own accord, but they didn't. I had to go and do something, right? And, I, like, that bothered me. You know, if you're like, I shouldn't have to do this. I have other things I would like to do with my time. And looking back, it seems silly, but in the moment, it was really annoying and stressful for me. But I just had to, like, let that go. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm, God is going to be with me, and I can have peace in this. And then it worked out better. So those are the two things. Find peace Follow God.
it and it's I know it sounds so simple and you probably already know this, but it's something we need to remind ourselves of, right? I remind myself of this all the time. And when I fail to remember to do this, things don't go so well. Let's pray. I, I, f I have a hunch that there may be some fears in our lives right now that God wants to drown. What fears does God want to drown in your life right now? These are things that pursue you relentlessly and you cannot escape from. And God knows that. He knows you can't outrun a chariot. He's not asking you to. Be still. You know, I've, I just got the sense that some of us have been told at certain points in our life that we just need to keep running. You've, you've, you've gone to someone you trusted and you're like, I'm, you know, there's, I'm dealing with this fear. I'm afraid of this. This thing is pursuing me. I can't get away with it. And someone told you, well, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. But maybe God's not asking you to run away from a chariot right now. He's not asking you to run the skin off your feet in a desert trying to escape from a chariot. He's got peace for you in this moment. He's going he's gonna to hide you in the cloud of his presence while he provides a way forward. And it's not a way forward where the chariots can follow you. It's not a way forward where the fear can continue to run you down. It's a way forward where fear is drowned. And for us that way is through the cross. through the cross where Jesus died and then rose from the grave. Fear cannot follow you through that. Fear cannot follow you through Jesus. Fear is drowned in perfect love. Father, we just still ourselves before you right now for your love. We welcome your peace.